All right, guys. Well, we're just uh, just getting started right now. Uh, we'll give people a chance to start uh, tuning in. Uh, really excited to have Melissa Odin on today, um, who you should all uh, immediately begin referring to as the bane of the pro-abortion movement. Uh, but we're just going to hang out and, and chat today. I'm sure we'll get some more people as, as we get going here. I wanted to do this, though, for, for all of you guys, because um, there's a lot going on in the country right now. There's a lot going on on Capitol Hill. Um, and this is because for the left, uh, politics is simply liturgy. Okay. Uh, liturgy is how we sort of uh, work out our faith. And uh, historically, the word liturgy actually meant public work. I did research for a talk recently. It meant public work. So you're literally working out your beliefs in the public square, seeking the good of the city to honor God. Well, that, that's a very robust historical understanding of the word liturgy. And so the left actually has a far more deep and robust uh, view of liturgy than most Christians do today. They work out their secularly humanistic religious premises in the public square by building the city, building the wall, getting people elected and into positions of political power who are high priests of secular progressivism, deacons, in the secular church of, of secular liberalism. And so because of that, democratic politicians are basically just the religious figures of leftism. And so when they get into positions of political power in Congress, they're going to do everything they can to sanction, protect, defend, and expand their greatest sacrament, which is abortion. Abortion is the greatest sacrament of the religion of secular progressivism. So why do I set it up that way? Because that means that this is going to be a gnarly freaking battle. It means that this is a spiritual battle. It means that this is, as someone just said, is that Angelina Jolie or Melissa Oden? That's awesome. Um, this means that this is not just sort of a political debate. But this goes far, far beyond in, into these unseen spiritual realms. And so if you're a Christian, if you're, if you're a person of faith, um, you'll understand that. Um, abortion is the greatest sacrament of the left because, as Peter Kreft, the Catholic philosopher, once said, abortion is actually the demonic parody of the Eucharist. And that's why it uses the same holy words. This is my body, but with the opposite blasphemous meaning. And so Christ says, this is my body broken for you, taking it in remembrance of me. And the culture of death says, no, this is my body and I'll kill whatever's inside my body because I'm my own God. And ultimately, that's what secular progressivism teaches, that we're gods. And so this is why you've got Richard freaking Blumenthal, the pro-abortion senator from Connecticut, Diane Feinstein, who's literally, I mean, decaying. Uh, in the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee desk. I mean, my goodness, lady, go home and spend a couple years with your family. My goodness. People, of course, in my state, California, continue to vote for this lady. Ridiculous. Um, and then you have John Ossoff, the Marxist ideological pubescent twin of uh, Raphael Warnock in Georgia. And thanks to Lecrae, uh, the Senate goes 50-50 because he's out there campaigning for both of those pro-abortion Democrats in January for the special election runoff. So you've got John Ossoff over there, uh, literally sounding like he's speaking a different language, the uh, bilingual, the, the language of leftism. Um, but then you had Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, 
Um, and then Melissa Odin, Catherine Glenn Foster of United Americans for Life. And then they dragged out three pro-abortion ladies, uh, one of whom actually kills babies. So Melissa was just on the Hill recently uh, testifying about the Women's Health Protection Act. Um, again, this is this is uh, the language of leftism. I just I just started speaking a different language there um, because this is a euphemism, uh, one of the greatest ones they probably ever come up with for their legislation. So uh, I, I, I do a long intro just because I want you to understand the sort of the propitious moment we're in. Um, and and I and we want to talk about why I believe uh, congressional Democrats uh, wake up with night sweats uh, in terrors uh, of Melissa Odin uh, repeating in their dreams. Uh, how could the act that nearly took my life simultaneously be my fundamental right to exercise? Uh, and I believe Richard Blumenthal wakes up uh, screaming at his wife. She's asking me that question again. I don't know how to answer it. And so anyways, we just want to dive into some of those ideas. So anyways, Melissa, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thank you. And, you know, as usual, you don't even really need me, right? Like, you got this. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's just fun, right? No, it, it well, yeah, I mean, it is fun to poke demons in the eye. Um, and, and in this case, those uh, those those demons are masquerading as 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 different uh, um, pastors and, and uh, a religion. But um it, well, that's ridiculous. Obviously, uh, we need you far more than the pro-life movement needs needs me. I, I just I just speak words and I sound nice when I say them. But but you're you're literally in in the place where legislation is debated as to whether we're going to kill babies or protect them. And as an abortion survivor, there's there's really um, nothing these people know what to do with you. I, I mean, how can you look at someone and tell them um, that they had a fundamental right to an abortion? Uh, but they didn't have a fundamental right to life, the very act that nearly took their life. Um, and so, first of all, just just sort of let us know how that all went down. Um, how was the this congressional subcommittee uh, hearing? Um, what was the backstory? And, and tell us a little bit about how that went. Yeah, and backstory is a little bit interesting. So, you know, I've testified before Congress more times than I can count at this point. And I say that just because it just becomes commonplace. Right. And, and it is what it is. I mean, I can remember the first time they called me years ago to testify against Planned Parenthood when we were looking at defunding them. And like the panic, right, that went through my body, I thought, well, I'm not the right person for this job. And then you have to take a deep breath and go, yeah, you know what, I am the right person for the job. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'll never forget the first time I testified, I walked out of that horrible hearing and I told my husband, I am never going to be afraid of anything again right Amen. I'm not afraid of them and that's you know my husband even as we were preparing for this hearing he said don't you be defeated you look them in the eye you know more than they do and you have nothing to ever be afraid of you speak truth and so that's always so cool but you know honestly Seth behind the scenes like we were going through a family emergency right timing was tough and got the message that Senator Cruz wanted to talk to me about this upcoming hearing. And my first response was that this time, maybe I wasn't the right person for the job. I didn't know what the witness list looked like. But what I wanted was to actually put another survivor in front of them who you guys don't even know yet, who has an amazing story after being born alive in an abortion clinic. She wow. has her medical records. She has some contact with her biological mom. And she's been behind the scenes being trained by one of our speaking coaches. Um, she was ready when I contacted her and said, here's what I'm thinking. I think it needs to be somebody else. They need to wow. face our population. And she was like, yeah, sign me up. 
Wow. So, I mean, how cool is that, right? We know when people are given a voice, they're equipped yeah. and they're empowered, we're going to go kicking down the door of every pro-abortion argument there is. And so it's not just Amen. me. We're doing all of this behind the scenes. But, you know, Senator Cruz gets last decision, I mean, I guess. And, um, you know, they obviously knew what this fight was going to look like. I've been in a similar hearing in 2019. Um, that was when I had that showdown with Busy Phillips. Right. So once the witness list came out, obviously I understood what exactly we were up against. And so yeah. that's how I ended up being the person that got the job this time. Yeah, yeah, great. And um, for you guys tuning in just now, uh, we're talking about the Women's Health Protection Act, uh, which is being considered uh, right now. I, I, I'm not, uh, I don't believe, Melissa, that this will get make it through the Senate, not with the filibuster. Um, but I mean, we, you know, unfortunately, we have more squishy Republicans uh, in the Senate than, than I'd like to have. Um, and we, we, we know who I'm talking about. But um, the fact that they're so eager to continue pushing this through, the same thing is true with the Equality Act, um, which would do actually a lot of the same things on abortion that the Women's Health Protection Act would do. It would also just do a lot more <laughs> than the bad things. The Women's Health Protection Act is kind of just like the uh, abortion alternative of the Equal uh, Rights Amendment. It would, it would accomplish everything on the abortion end that the Equal Rights Amendment would do. Uh, and this is radical, radical stuff. And, and the initial co-sponsor of the Women's Health Protection Act was actually Kamala Harris. That was her baby. That was her bill to, uh, <laughs> to ironically use that word, no pun intended. Um, and now Richard Blumenthal is dragging it back, um, back and, and uh, trying to shove this back through again. So this is not the first time, um, but, I, but it's, it's so good that, that uh, I mean, I, I can't think of anyone better for Ted Cruz and everyone to have up there. Um, and so you had to endure uh, some of the most confusing um, euphemisms uh, that maybe I've ever seen or heard packed into such a small amount of time for this Women's Health Protection Act. Uh, tell us a little bit about um, what it was like on the floor there for the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee hearing with, with Richard Blumenthal and with some of their, their witnesses that they dragged forward. Yeah, it was really interesting. The witness list came out on Tuesday. This hearing was on Wednesday. And, you know, interestingly enough, all three of their witnesses testified virtually. And I think that was, you know, not related to COVID whatsoever. I think it was to mm. protect them from Senator Cruz and Senator Hawley when he came in. I mean, Hawley wasn't even supposed to be there. Wow. Uh, I'm one of its constituents, right? That's we right. work a lot on policy matters. And so, yeah, he came in. And so I think that was, you know, to shield them, protect them, pitch them some, you know, really easy questions from the left. Right. You know, so I thought that I thought that, too. I was wondering why only the pro-life women were actually there in person. But go figure. Right. Like I said to Catherine, as we were walking in, this is how we win, because we always show up. Right. Yeah, Whether that's right. it's on the hill, on the sidewalk, you know what? We show up day in and day out. So that's right. You know, it's um, it's a really unnerving thing to sit in a room full of people who can't even acknowledge the fact that you survived something that they are wanting to protect and expand, wow. that they have right. no regard for your life or the population that you represent. I mean, there is never an I'm sorry. Right? Right. There's, there's no recognition whatsoever. And so you spend about three hours watching them look everywhere but to you. Wow. And I can count on one hand how many times I've been asked a question by 
Democrats when I've testified right. before them. I think the one question I've ever been asked was, do you support the death penalty? <laughs> wow. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that's why it's so important when people like Senator Hawley come in, because that is the only way we are going to continue to have a discussion, right? Because otherwise, there's no questions for Catherine and I at the table. It's, right, us right. off shooting him, right, shooting them to their witnesses. But I have never heard so many lies. I have never mm. felt so much uh, reactivity, right? They're yeah. scared to death that Roe yeah. is going to be overturned. And, you know, frankly, for them to, they made a couple of statements. If people listen very carefully, you'll catch a couple of statements saying, you know what, we don't just want to protect Roe, we want to expand it. We want That's to right. take away a state's rights to ever pass any type of legislation. Right. Who in their right mind, listening to that hearing, would ever think that's okay? That's right. Yep. No yep. disregard for women. And it wasn't just me, right? That's why I beg those questions whenever mm. I testify before them is, is there room in this narrative for women like me? <clears throat> is there room in the narrative for women who regret their abortions, who are for forced or coerced? Mm. That's right. And, the, and if you listen carefully in that hearing, that's when you'll actually hear Feinstein going, time, time. I was wow. over on time, but guess what? Everybody went over on time. But that's there right. was, yeah. that's a really uncomfortable moment. That's right. They, they always selectively enforce the, the time limit, depending on how much they like or dislike the content what's being communicated. Uh, and I mean, we know the Democrats hate abortion survivors. Um, and for anyone who's tuning in, who's a Democrat, listen, I mean, obviously, Melissa and I are grateful for Democrats for Life and other groups that advocate for life. Um, however, I, I'm possessed of the sense that there's no saving the Democratic Party at this point. Um, there's no working within the Democratic Party to somehow make them pro-life. <laughs> they have ostracized any pro-life members of the Democratic Party and treat them like a pariah. And so this party really does hate abortion survivors um, because your very existence um, sort of not just questions or challenge, but rather implodes um, their entire worldview. Um, and, and this is what I want you guys to get who are tuning in. We're, we're chatting with Melissa Odin, uh, the abortion survivor, founder and director of the Abortion Survivors Network, who was just on Capitol Hill um, with Richard Blumenthal and the pro-abortion Democrats as they're pushing their new Women's Health Protection Act, um, is that you, Melissa and I, you, we, we, you and I know that these, these Democrats don't actually believe that a child who has survived a botched abortion is writhing around on the hospital table. Um, was accidentally born alive, um, should be left there to die or should have their head chopped off. And, and I don't think any elected Democrat actually b supports that. And if they were in the hospital room would say, give me those scissors, baby, let me cut that spinal cord. Um, I don't think they actually believe this. And so what they're really admitting is that they're very afraid that if they acknowledge their semi-functioning moral compass, um, which says that that's a human being, if they grant that which they already know to be true and they articulate it publicly, um, you and others will go, hey, you sick freak, I have one question for you. If a baby accidentally is born alive and just barely, their toe just barely left the vaginal canal and they're a person who should have the right to life protected, can you just answer me one question? Uh, does the birth canal confer personhood? I, so was Melissa Odin just inches before and literally seconds before 
a non-person blob of tissue like you viewed black Americans once. So is there a fetus fairy that's like flying around and sprinkling magical personhood conferring fairy dust that just like transfers from the vaginal canal and the tissue to the child? What the heck is wrong with you, Richard Blumenthal? So this is why this conversation is actually so spiritually dark and disgusting, is that they're willing to sacrifice you, Melissa. They're willing to sacrifice the bodies, souls, and lives of abortion survivors in order to maintain the coherency of their worldview. Because if they acknowledge your existence and that your right to life began before your last toe escaped your mother's vaginal canal, then they'd be forced to admit that all babies in the womb are persons with rights. And so anyways, guys, that's why pro-abortion Democrats have nightmares of Melissa Odin um, as they wake up in night sweats. Um, afraid that Melissa Odin is in their room saying, how could the act that nearly took my life simultaneously be my fundamental right to exercise, you bigot? Um, you so... hear a funny story, though? <laughs> Please tell us. Oh, the best story. So we, we stayed in Capitol Hill, and you guys are going to see some really fun, bold moves that we are making in D.C. that are going to change the conversation in a big way awesome. very soon. But here we're behind the Supreme Court rushing to a meeting the very next day, and I was with our lobbyist, and I, I was, like, running, going, hey, hey, the car stopped at the crosswalk. We got to go. Go, go. And she looks over her shoulder, and she said, oh, my gosh, you are not even going to believe who that is, Senator Blumenthal. <laughs> oh, no. So I said, um, it's a good thing that, obviously, I wore a different change of clothes today. And, um, you know, if he hit me with his car on accident, I mean, so that's different now that, like, I'm an adult, I guess. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. How providential. <laughs> Um, guys, we're talking with Melissa Odin, the founder and director of the Abortion Survivors Network, um, one of the most uh, popular and foremost um, abortion survivors in the country and the world who uses her voice um, to be a shield for her population of abortion survivors and uh, to say, we're here, damn it. Uh, look at us. Acknowledge our existence. And now tell me that my right to life began when my last toe left my mother's vaginal canal. Um, Melissa Odin, you made a wonderful point for those of you who didn't watch the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee hearing from a few days ago on the Women's Health Protection Act. Make sure you go check it out. You made a wonderful point that Hadley Arcus has also made, um, the natural law scholar over at James Wilson Institute for Natural Rights, um, about the irony of using the language of natural law um, to argue for abortion. Um, and you made this point as well, which is something like this. Um, if abortion is a fundamental natural right um, that exists simply because I'm human, it's, it's a natural human right, so I have it from the moment I'm a human being, then that would mean that in the womb, I had a right to an abortion as a preborn woman, but I didn't have the right to life um, can you help me make sense of that? So uh, talk to us a little bit about what it's like to sort of um, uh, contend for life as an abortion survivor and, and make these arguments that are so self-evident um, to these people who even refuse to look you in the eye. It's fun. I mean, you and I were texting about that yesterday, right? Like people hear me testifying and they go, did you write that? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I, I probably enjoy it a little bit too much. I'll be honest. I have, you know, right. my lobbyist is a great editor and, you know, people help me polish, but those arguments are so straightforward, right? We don't have to recreate the wheel. I think it's about, you know, having that opportunity to present and just turn their arguments on their head, right? I mean, this is right. what you do so beautifully is, 
you know, turn it back around on them. And that's all we really have to do and highlight the inconsistencies okay. in the pattern of thinking and the beliefs. So yeah, I do have fun <laughs> when I craft that testimony, you know, going into yeah. it, talking about the privilege of being born. I mean, I'm sure some of them were thinking that's uncomfortable. Like yeah. this is a new argument. Yeah, well, who's going to bring it out except for me at this point, I guess. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. you know, I think, but the coolest part for me, though, is to know that at the end of the day, like, when I'm there, I'm being a voice for not just my population, but all of us. And then to have messages coming in from abortion survivors around the world. We have four survivors since last week's hearing who have reached out, Seth. Wow. Why do you think they want to silence and shame us and put us in a corner, right, and avoid us? Because this is what happens. That's right. That's right. That's incredible. So, guys, Melissa just said, uh, just so in case you missed that, um, four abortion survivors reached out to the Abortion Survivors Network, um, probably because of the, of the hearing. Um, and that we're going to try to continue to help to make that go viral. Um, and and can just imagine, guys, for a second, what would happen um, if we had thousands of abortion survivors in a united front um, showing up on the steps of the Supreme Court, um, uh, showing up outside of their elected representatives offices um, and um, as many friends as we have in the conservative media platforming these people on a regular basis um, because their very existence um, destroys any argument you could ever muster up um, in your academic fields of discipline or in your pro-abortion philosophy. Um, their very existence implodes that entire worldview. You know, I was thinking about this um, earlier, Melissa, when I decided to title this conversation, um, Why Congressional Democrats uh, Have Nightmares of Melissa Odin. And I, I, was, I was thinking about, let, let's, let's just sort of trot out an analogy here. Let's think about a guy who runs um, like a sex trafficking ring, right? And, and he operates obviously illegally um, in America. And he's been doing it very well, very hidden for a long time. He's good at silencing his victims. He's good at making sure that they don't escape um, out of um, the, the home um, where he operates this, this, uh, this circle. Um, but then one day, after 10 years of operating illegally without ever getting caught, um, one of these young women escapes his home. How freaked out would that guy be? Um, he knows now that if she, if she goes to the authorities, um, everything he has advocated for that he has built, the people he has harmed in the process of what he's built will be exposed and he'll be dragged before the authorities and thrown into a dark clink where, where no one will ever see him again. Abortion survivors are kind of like that. You see, they weren't supposed to, they weren't supposed to survive. Um, and the abortion industry, which is a, a profitable industry that profits off of the murder of little human beings um, gets exposed for their crimes against humanity when accidentally one of the children gets away um, and they blow the whistle and says, this is what is happening. Um, it's very difficult now for the perpetrators of those crimes to justify their crimes when one of their profitable clients or one of their profitable um, children, uh, rather, gets away and says, this is what is happening. Um, and I think that's why they have nightmares of you, um, because they're forced to stare at you 
and know that what they're really telling you, because they won't translate their euphemisms and leftism into English, but what they're really saying, if you were to translate it into the English language, into reality world, is, um, frick, man, you weren't supposed to survive that operation. Your mother was supposed to enjoy her reproductive justice. And you survived it, which means that, oh, yeah, you're a human being, which means all these babies are human beings. Absolutely. Um, so anyway. Yeah. And that's what, you know, Senator Hawley and I had that exchange is, you know, he kept saying, and even Cruz, you know, why, why is it that the Born Alive H.R. 619 continues to not be passed? And why do they fight against it? Why won't they allow it to come to the floor for a vote? And that was essentially my comment back, right? They they don't want to acknowledge it because if they acknowledge that we are human, then it humanizes the unborn and you walk out the path all the way back to Roe. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's powerful. Um, so one thing I've noticed in these hearings before, Melissa, is that um, these Democrats never seem to ask you any questions. It's very interesting. Um, and then when you do respond to their policies or their ideas, they just say, um, uh, let's ask the uh, expert. Um, and then they turn to one of their, their witnesses. And so um, talk to us maybe a little bit about what that's like, as well as um, so what were some of the claims and arguments being made by these witnesses? How did they lie? Um, and what was that like on the floor there? Yeah, how did they, they lie? I mean, how did they not lie would be a greater question at this point. I was, That's right. honestly, this is a hearing where there were more blatant lies than I've ever experienced. And I think there were the three at the end that, you know, if people didn't catch this hearing, you had that tail end of Q&A with Ossoff in particular um, brings out some of that. So he asked the OBGYN who is, an abortionist. That's right. Um, three very particular questions. Um, and this tells you exactly what they're gunning for. So question one was, you know, does, is there ever a link between abortion and breast cancer? And her response was like unequivocally never, yeah. right? Yeah, no, yeah. never. Okay. Um, does abortion ever cause infertility? No, never. Can a chemical abortion ever be reversed? No, never. That's right. Those are some powerful words, yeah, right? That's to tap right. on no and never. That's right. And they made um, no case, right? They didn't offer any sort of evidence. Right. It's like gunfire, right? Right. Boom, boom, I'm boom. A, I'm, a, I'm just a healthcare professional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got this, got this. Um, and so that's pretty typical. But I think, you know, one of the hardest parts when you have those Democratic witnesses is we know exactly what this playbook looks like. You know, if if we're lucky, we have an abortion survivor there, right? We have somebody like Catherine who um, has experienced an abortion and was harmed by it and also has constitutional law as a background. Uh, we tend to have, you know, pro-life doctors or former abortionists who are pro-life. Um, but we, the stories are matched up. So we have an abortion survivor typically matched up against the story of a Democratic witness who... Right right, had an abortion, needed an abortion and faced an obstacle. And this woman on paper, if you go down that rabbit hole, looks very different than the woman who was a witness on Wednesday. And whether she's experienced some sort of conversion in her life, I don't know, right? That's not my job to judge. I have my own suspicions, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, no, very different story and sob story. Right. 
um, kind of went after the faith a little bit, right? My dad's a minister. He didn't support me having an abortion, right? You name it. Um, I had to take out predatory pay loans to pay for my abortion. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't we be looking at that and going, what could people have done to actually support you? Right. right? Yeah, Not, right. you know, gosh, we should feel sorry for you that yeah, abortion right. is super expensive. But you know what? At the same time, there are organizations who would jump right in and say, we'll pay for your abortion. That's right. Would you pay to support her and her existing child? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's but right. we don't hear that, right? So yeah. it's the manufacture the story, cram as many points into it as you can. And so it was typical playbook, but it was very racially motivated. Mm-hmm. That's right. And Cruz, Senator Cruz, though, did a wonderful job of reflecting back to everyone there. You that's know, right. if, if you weren't targeting your population with abortion, you would have wow. this many more people. That's right. Amen. But that was that was the continuous statement. You know, it is um, it is oppressive. It's racist to be shutting down abortion clinics, or somehow right. that by enhancing pro life laws um, that protect women and protect children, that that's racist. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is a claim they make a lot now because everything has to be put through a racial narrative and lens um, because that's their primary political attack today, right? Is, is look, let's find a victim class um, and then let's pretend to be their savior um, and then let's pander the, to them to get votes. So Republicans are racist because they support pro-life legislation, which disproportionately harms black women who need abortion more. But like, like typical leftism language, the lexicon of the left always excludes from the, consider, from the conversation any consideration of the unborn child. And this is why every pro-abortion talking point and argument assumes within the course of its rhetoric that the unborn child is not a human being or that they don't deserve rights of personhood. But that's the very thing the pro-choice pro-choice advocate must prove for their argument to work in the first place, which is that whatever is in the womb is not a person. Um, and if you guys watch the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee hearing on the Women's Health Protection Act, minus preborn women, um, where Melissa Odin was advocating for life, you will have noticed this, that so many of these statements and arguments that were made um, on the face of them, Melissa, I'm sure you noticed this. Um, if you didn't know the context, you might have thought that that was a pro-life statement. But they're just excluding from the conversation any consideration of the preborn child, because as soon as you acknowledge the existence of that child or the abortion survivor like yourself, then their entire argument implodes. So, for example, Richard Blumenthal said, he said, privacy is a pillar of our jurisprudence. You remember this? He says, this law is just truth telling, Melissa. Um, and lets a woman decide when to have a child. These restrictions on health care interfere with the basic right to privacy, um, to which I say, yes, that's right, Richard Blumenthal. There are some things you cannot do under the mantle of privacy. Um, and what about the child's private right um, to their own natural rights, to their own bodily autonomy? See, a- anytime they discuss the issue, the unborn has to be filtered out of sight. Um, and ironically, that's what they continue to do with you, this side of the womb is filter you out of sight and refuse to recognize you. Um, but I was, I was shocked with, with the, the speed at which they rolled off lies. Um, let's talk a little bit about the abortion reversal pill. So this woman said um, that this does not reverse abortions at all. 
Um, what were your thoughts on that when she said that so shamelessly? Oh man, a million thoughts. Um, we have survivors in our network who are in their 40s, 50s, 60s who survived chemical abortions, Seth. So wow. this was happening long before it was kind of this mainstream knowledge and being pushed by the right. abortion industry. And what do you think, Seth, that you know, MDs were giving to these mothers years ago to save their pregnancy? Progesterone? Any guesses? <gasps> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Oh my yep. gosh, right? Um, and you know what? As a woman who lost a child through a miscarriage, yeah, I know a few things about progesterone myself. So yeah, offensive, um, not surprising. And that's wow. why if people listen carefully in the Q&A as I was responding to either Senator Cruz or Senator Hawley about survivors in our network, I included, we have survivors who survived chemical abortions in right, that are in their 40s wow. and 50s. And you could kind of wow. see the look on their face was almost like, uh-oh. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's powerful. We've had Dr. Brent Bowles on before, who's a good friend, um, formerly um, ran his own OB practice in Nashville, um, delivered babies for 30 years, moved to Florida recently. Um, but he was the on-call doctor for the abortion reversal pill hotline mm -hmm. um, in Nashville. Um, and his actually, there's actually a viral photo that some pro-life groups helped go uh, viral where he's actually holding a baby he just delivered, um, whose mother he prescribed the abortion reversal pill to and saved the child. Um, and about a year ago, this is how uh, um, outdated my stats are, but about a year ago, we had saved over 1,000 babies documented oh, yeah. from it's the like abortion reversal pill. a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's much more now. Um, and yet, of course, there's, there's no acknowledgement of that. And yet they smear this as fake, fake medicine, right? And that it, it's, it's not real and, and, you, and it's dangerous even. Did you know it's actually dangerous to, to try to stop um, an abor a medication abortion bliss after the first uh, regimen? And of course, it's just progesterone. And uh, OBs have been using progesterone uh, to treat infertility um, for literally decades. Um, so this, it was just as shocking at the speed at which these people were rolled off lives. But that's no surprise to you and I, because if you can justify in your mind the murder of an innocent human being, a lie is just, uh, I mean, a, what's a lie then? <laughs> you can kill someone for no reason. A, a lie is significantly less problematic um, for your soul um, than murdering someone. <laughs> Well, and I think that, you know, not only is it just, you know, it was such a blatant lie, and it's so disrespectful to the unborn, and it's so disrespectful to survivors, but, you know, when they make those arguments, I get so frustrated because they're showing such disrespect to women who have undergone the abortion pill reversal, whether it was That's successful right. or not, right? There are That's women right. who, you know, regret it and go through the process, and sadly, you know what, sometimes the child can't be saved or they go on yeah. and experience a miscarriage. And those women live with so much regret and pain mm -hmm. thinking, right, oh, other women can have it reversed and I couldn't, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. They, they don't care about women. If they did, they would be more inclusive of all of our voices. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I have to stop you there, Melissa. I can't stand for that heteronormative bigotry around here. Uh, no using the word woman. <laughs> on this on this instagram hey, live all right uh, they fixed it a couple times during that hearing yeah i need I, I you for the sake of of uh the triggered individuals in this conversation we would appreciate it if you would use the word pregnant people please and birthing persons 
Um, so let, let's talk about that. One of the funny things from that hearing was um, everyone on the left in that hearing kept using the word uh, pregnant people um, or those who give birth, right? Uh, and uh, pre pretty dehumanizing um, to women, especially that, that we had uh, Mother's Day um, recently, pretty dehumanizing to mothers um, to reduce them purely to their ability to give birth. Now, that's a superpower, um, but it's, it, it's something every woman can do. Um, so in one sense, your ability to give birth doesn't mean nearly as much as your willingness and commitment to then be a good mother to the child you created, to raise that child, to teach them, to disciple them. Um, the true test of a mother or a father um, is not actually creating a human being. It's then being that child's mother or father. Um, and so no shock there from the anti-science bigots in the Democratic Party who say that preborn humans are not really humans um, and mothers are just birthing people. Uh, and so Michelle Goodwin, um, I guess this professor at UC Irvine, um, who said she's a, debate her? Come on. I would, I would love to. I think that would be great. I, I plan to reach out. But she says in this, Melissa, she says, Congress has the power to protect pregnant people now. <laughs> Under Section 5 of the 14th Amendment, Congress has the authority to enact legislation when state laws infringe upon or deny the exercise of constitutionally protected rights. Once again, if I were to read that to a pro-lifer and they didn't understand the context of the statement being read, they would have thought that that was a pro-life argument. Listen to that. When state laws infringe upon or deny the exercise of constitutionally protected rights, then Congress has the authority to enact legislation. Oh, do you mean like when states say that we can kill, like denying individual preborn children their natural right to life, which is found in the Constitution, then Congress should step up and protect the natural rights of individuals that states are infringing upon. Sounds like a great pro-life argument, except she doesn't mean it as applied to abortion. She means it as applied to supporting abortion. Uh, and there, there you go down the sort of the lexicon of the left again. Um, and so as, as we start closing up here, guys, if you have any questions for Melissa, go ahead and, and put those in here. We have one right here, um, Melissa. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap this up in under an hour. But if you guys have any questions, go ahead and comment now. Um, one person here, Melissa, says, how do we respond to those who acknowledge the unborn as a person, but that a mother's bodily autonomy supersedes or is more fundamental than the unborn's right to life? which, you know, this is essentially what we've been talking about this whole time, right? And the argument that I've put before them, without the right to life, there are no other rights. And so we, we shouldn't be afraid of, you know, highlighting that truth for people. Um, there's nothing disrespectful about highlighting that. It's just flipping, you know, the rhetoric of our culture um, to remind them of what's really true. So yeah, don't be afraid of reminding people that, Life is a fundamental right, not abortion. That's right. Amen. Uh, I would add to that, uh, to this person who asked that, um, for those who say, yeah, it's a person, but it doesn't matter because the mother's personhood rights or bodily autonomy trumps the child's personhood rights or bodily autonomy. What I would add to that is what people often say, Melissa, right, is they say, well, nobody has the right to use someone else's body, right? <laughs> so they'll say, like, if, uh, if Melissa, if you need my organ, I'm not required to give it to you simply because you need it. Nobody has the right to use someone else's body or organs to live. And so they say, right, even if the unborn child is a person, 
it doesn't matter because they don't have a right to demand the use of their mother's body or organs for their sustenance development, dependency and well-being. Um, and so, but the problem with that argument for the person who asked this is that unlike the person who willingly gives their organ to someone else who needs it, it was the mother's and father's actions that led to that child being dependent on you, right? Now, there's nothing about your um, organ difficulties, Melissa, that I caused to, to use a thought experiment, right? And there's nothing about your need for an organ that I caused. But in the case of a new human being dwelling in a womb, it was the very actions of their parents that led to them needing them in the first place. And so that's how you respond to that argument for whoever asked that, is that because you consented to sex, you did consent to pregnancy, just like consenting to eating donuts for every meal is consent to obesity. And so that child is in the womb because you put them there. And therefore, you have the obligation to, yes, to use your organs in your body to support an individual human being who also has a natural right to life. Um, anyone else have any other questions here? People just said they love you and your story here, Melissa. Um, if uh, we'll give you guys a few more seconds to, to put in any questions you have. Um, Melissa, what is on the horizon for the Abortion Survivors Network? And are you at liberty to give us any teasers for what you're working on? I mean, some of it is so bold. Like, let's just say Senator Hawley's jaw dropped a little bit. Okay, so that's awesome. my wish to you there. And <laughs> awesome. we'll be partnering with him on some of those things. But you know, right, next month we have a survivor retreat. We'll have about 30 abortion survivors coming to Texas for a first ever retreat. In person? Um, in person. Amazing. Healed Amazing. people find their voices. And when they yeah. find their voices, they find a way to share their story. And we support them, whatever that looks like. Um, we do have a um, something exciting that's going to be happening in August. I can't really say what yet, but let's just say people will be able to tune in and see more about abortion survivors and um, just be further equipped on how to have a conversation about survivors yeah. and failed abortions. Um, and a couple other groundbreaking projects coming up soon. You'll you'll see happening in the early fall. Awesome, cool. Well, um, I I have to say I have I have serious senator envy. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, Josh Hawley, my goodness. Uh, I, I, in fact, if I had to pick two senators that I wanted to be my senator, I would probably pick Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz. Um, and so how incredible that, that they were both there um, and, and, and so in support of life. Love it that Josh came in at the last moment there um, to just uh, feed you softballs to demolish mm -hmm. pro-abortion bigotry. That was just really beautiful. Um, someone asked here, Melissa, what about the argument people use that if the woman is raped, she wasn't responsible for the child getting there. Um, I have some thoughts, but why don't why don't you uh, respond to that? Um, no, I'll let you jump in. Exactly with what you were laying out for your audience. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, that's that's a good response from this this person, right? Because I said that it's your actions that that led to the creation of a new human being. Therefore, you do have the obligation to to offer willingly your organs and your body, um, and, and that's the general rule, right? Um, but even in the case of rape, um, the the question is not so much. Um, am I responsible for this child because I didn't consent to sex? Uh, the fundamental question still has to do with the natural rights of the child. So we can acknowledge the horrific circumstance that that woman is in, and it is horrific. And guess what? <laughs> I am 
significantly I'm, I'm a far better friend of rape victims than the democratic party and the culture of death is because i support lifetime prison sentences and in fact i would also be willing to entertain castrations um bye bye penis of rapists you don't get that anymore um guess what the left wants to do they want to spring rapists from the clink after a few years um they don't support the death penalty for rapists they don't support the death penalty at all do they the abortion left movement always says we need to get rid of the death penalty um except for preborn children ironically who they say can be killed um and so the fundamental issue in the case of rape is not the the, the sort of the fact that the mother didn't consent to give her bodily autonomy to the child the fact is that the child still has a natural right to life because they're a human being and those rights exist because of a human nature. Um, and so, yeah, the answer's a hard one, I know. And maybe that's not what you wanted to hear, but it's that, it's that even in that tragic situation, um, you still don't have the right to deprive a, another small human being of their natural right to life, simply because you didn't consent to the act that led to their creation. Um, so the solution is to punish the rapist to the full extent of the law and to love and support the mother. Um, not to somehow use this random 0.5% of an exception where she didn't consent to sex to therefore say she has the bodily autonomy to kill her child. Um, anyways, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up now. Melissa, do you have any uh, closing comments for us? Uh, how, and then also how can people c connect with you and stay tuned in with everything you're doing? Yeah, just I want people to keep being bold. This is not a time to, you know, stay quiet and, uh, let the Democrats do what they wish, right? We know what happens if they're given free reign. So uh, let your senators know how you feel about this bill and other bills that are coming down the pipeline. Uh, we're even looking at right funding right now. The appropriations bills are, um, you know, being very much considered and under construction. And you know, now is not a time to be silent about it. So burn up the phone line. Send those emails. Yeah. Um, and get involved, right? No matter what happens with the, even the Mississippi case coming down the pike for the Supreme Court, yeah. um, we got work to do, friends. Roll up That's your right. sleeves. That's so right. join us. Join Seth and I. Let's do this. So, yeah, yeah now's the time to get involved. And, um, yeah, people can find me at the Abortion Survivors Network. So on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you can find our website. It's abortionsurvivors.org. My easiest email is just melissa at abortionsurvivors.org. Wonderful. Yes, awesome. So guys, we have discussed today the Women's Health Protection Act, um, which is the sort of abortion pipe dream of the Democratic Party, initially written and co-sponsored by Kamala Harris, resuscitated by Senator Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut. And thankfully, we had Melissa Odin and Catherine Glenn Foster as a voice for life in the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee hearings, where they, of course, ignored Melissa's existence as an abortion survivor who implodes their entire worldview by merely existing and staring them into their bigoted eyes. The Women's Health Protection Act, just so you guys know, would essentially eradicate all state-level pro-life legislation across the entire country. They won't, frankly, admit this, um, but Ted Cruz, Melissa, and Catherine did a great job explaining exactly how that would happen. Um, and why this should be completely unacceptable, even to pro-choice moderates, frankly, mm -hmm. um, who still want to support sort of a federalist system where states have the rights to enact legislation that mirror the worldview of their constituents. And so um, go watch the, the hearing, you guys. It was very powerful. You can also check out the episode I did on my podcast, Unaborted with Seth Gruber, this week called Without Euphemisms and Lies, What Would the Left Be? And I sort of unpacked all of the um, leftism and lexicon 
that was used in those hearings uh, to translate into reality for you. And we also uh, highlighted some of Melissa's most fiery segments, which we'll be releasing on my YouTube channel as well. So go check that out. Go follow um, Melissa Odin on Facebook. She also has a podcast. Go check out her podcast. Um, stay tuned with what she's doing because abortion survivors are the bane of the Democratic Party and the pro-abortion left who have found a new class of human beings that they call non-persons. Um, let's make sure that these pro-abortion Democratic bigots continue to wake up with night sweats and have nightmares of Melissa Odin and every other abortion survivor um, as the question continues to ring through their heads. How could the act that nearly took my life fundamentally and simultaneously be my, my right to exercise? Let's hope that that reality uh, resounds in the minds of these individuals and that they come back home to reality to be greeted um, by all of us as we advocate for human equality. Um, Melissa, thanks for joining me today. We'll go ahead and release this on the podcast as well, just to encourage people. We support you. We're praying for you. Um, and uh, thank you so much for chatting about all that matters. Thanks, friend. Good to see you. <laughs> you too. Have a good one. <laughs>